life, and it's ending one minute at a time. I was blind, but now I see. Working jobs we hate, so we can buy shit we don't need. Ideas are brutal. If you had one shot, everything I'd ever read, heard, seen was now organized and available. Now you fucking khakis. Life moves pretty fast. The Biohacking Secret Show. Dr. Tyler Panzer, welcome to the Biohacking Secret Show. Thank you so much for having me on, man. Well, uh, I'm pumped because, you know, I've, I've been introduced to your work through a few people and you're sharing some stuff that I find really interesting and, and that resonates with a number of different clients that I work with and other people in the biohacking space. So I think it'll be fun to share some of that with our audience and the way that you've integrated genetics into your approach. Um, but before we like really get deep into the weeds, maybe you could give our listeners who might not be familiar with your work a little bit of your origin story. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I did my undergraduate work in cellular molecular biology at the University of South Florida down in Tampa. Um, always loved cells, always loved figuring out how things worked, was always bothering even my high school teachers asking why, 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 until eventually they say, you know, we, I, I, I don't know, or that's not important right now, but always asking why the really granular approach for how is it that these things are actually functioning and working. And I, it's ironic, I didn't want to have to deal with, I didn't want to go to medical school. I didn't want to have to deal with sick people yelling at me for their drugs, similar with pharmacy. <laughs> um, and, you know, it was my, I was making all pre-workout powders and stuff with, you know, DMAA, acetylcholinesterase inhibitors many, many years ago, just intuitively thinking what would work, making nootropic stacks, those types of things. I just love neuropharmacology, how you take a supplement, you take some L-tyrosine and you're amped up and ready for the gym. You take that too close to bedtime, no matter what you do, you're not sleeping because that literally altered, you know, your state of being, your state of reality. Your brain chemistry is the lens through which you view reality. We all live in the same reality, but we experience it very differently based on our current brain chemistries. And I was talking to that's an uh, interesting, my organic. That's an interesting perspective. I hadn't yeah, thought about I mean, it like that, that like your brain chemistry influences your model of the world and how you interpret, you know, exactly. what's going I mean, on around you. Think about it. You, you could have two people, you know, at a concert or something. One person is loving life. The other person has extreme anxiety from, you know, social anxiety. So, you Loud know, noises it, and bright lights and exactly. Yeah. People are more hardwired to be sensitive to that. You have the genetic side, you have the whole you know, repressed emotions, trauma, epigenetic side. I think it's all parts of, you know, optimal health. And I remembered my organic chemistry lecture. We were first going over, you know, the molecular structures of things. And he drew the caffeine molecule and mentioned how it binds receptors. And I looked down on my coffee and it kind of clicked for me that, huh, this isn't really magic while it wakes me up. This caffeine molecule blocks this adenosine receptor, mm -hmm. which makes me not feel tired. And that kind of really changed how I view a lot of things and got me really interested in pharmacology. And when I was figuring out what I wanted to do, one of my professors said, you ever think about doing like a master's or PhD in pharmacology? I'm like, huh, I don't even really know what grad school was. Looked up, looked it up. And I'm like, this is, this is so me. Like being trained on how to, critically think. And for you guys listening, I get this all the time, pharmacy versus pharmacology. Pharmacy is taking what's already known about drugs and medications and applying those rule sets. Kind of similar to medical school as well. You have a, you have a scriptures, if you call them, you have like this protocols that you follow 
versus a PhD in pharmacology is actually doing the research. So how do we take what's been already known and developed, make it better? Um, so I was the guy literally doing cell culture stuff, working with mouse models, um, studied all the different uh, cell types in the brain. The first half of my PhD, I did my thesis work on breast cancer, metastasis, and inflammation. Um, and trying to figure out what I wanted to do after that, I was groomed to be a guy making a new immunotherapy drug for a Pfizer or one of these companies. And I got really interested in the personalized medicine. 23 and me became a thing. I'm like, let me get this done, see what I could figure out. And a lot of the reports were kind of lackluster initially. They were more likely to think cilantro tastes like soap or <laughs> more likely to be more likely to have like a longer ring finger or something like stuff mm -hmm. like that. And I'm just like, that doesn't really get me going. So I looked at the raw data, started looking up these, what these mutations meant. There's so much info in there that they don't tidy up in a nice report for you. Mm -hmm. Turns out I have a mutation. I break down adrenaline and dopamine four times slower than a normal person. Mm. Makes sense. Perform well in school, very creative, but also very prone to stress. So figuring out how I could specifically support that means I burn through magnesium quickly. I also had a higher need for magne magnesium. Mm -hmm. The way I absorb it in my gut is mutated. doesn't work as well. Um, figured out a lot of my own histamine issues, brain fog, those types of things, um, and got allergy testing done. The doctor would say, you know, you don't have anaphylaxis, you don't have hives, you don't have allergies. What do you know? I was severely allergic to peas um, and almonds. I ate them almost every day, never got hives or anything, and severely allergic to mice. I figured that out after six years of working with mice almost every day. So I thought I was literally getting poisoned by fumes in my lab because I would feel like shit when I got to lab. Yeah. And it makes so much sense because I would go to lab after the gym feeling good, have these foods, check on my mice and just dump histamine in my brain wow. and feel so lethargic. Um, and I started, I remember I took an ibuprofen one time. I hurt my knee and I felt so much better mentally. You don't need a PhD in pharmacology to figure out if you take an anti-inflammatory and feel better, you're inflamed. Yeah. The harder, the harder question, and if it's the, the harder thing to answer is what is, yeah. what's causing that. Mm -hmm. So that got me really interested in personalized medicine. I decided screw, you know, being a bench person. I'm allergic to mice anyway. I don't want to keep doing that. Mm -hmm. um, and joined a clinical genomics company where I was doing data analysis for um, prenatal screenings and hereditary cancer screenings. And I thought it'd be with a bunch of people all like me that really want to change the world, that want to shake things up. And it was just a bunch of honestly regular people that had some education that did the exact job they had to do. No critical thinking beyond that. They went home and they were normal people, which there's nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. um, just not how I'm wired. So, you know, think about this. We're spending all this money to sequence cancer cells once you have a tumor to figure out what drug is best for the cancer cells. Mm -hmm. Why aren't we doing that for our regular cells to figure out what are the biggest, weakest links of your cells pathways wise? Do you have a lot of issues with vitamin D or methylation? All these things can be linked to all these chronic diseases. Mm -hmm. So I, in January, I actually left that position and been started my own practice. I call it holistic genetic health optimization. So basically doing just that, figuring out the biggest weak points for your cells, which nutrients do your cells need more of? And which things might they be sensitive to? A lot of things in foods that are naturally occurring, like histamine I mentioned, 
I have mutations. I break that down very slow. So the histamine itself isn't toxic for me. It's not like it's a pesticide that was added. I just see a lot of people thinking it's just healthy greens and that and healthy foods or processed foods. When in reality, like, you know, the carn the carnivore stuff I believe in for certain individuals, keto, certain individuals, higher carb, certain individuals. It's all individualized. Yet all of these big pages on Instagram and social media with the absolutism, which drives me crazy, mm -hmm. saying you're a fool for not doing this. Yeah. Oxalates will give you leaky gut if you have mutations or kidney stones. If you have mutations, which are well-established, to slow down your oxalate clearance, definitely watch out for those. So I've been doing this uh, since January full-time. I've seen over 250 clients the past year. I started doing it part-time before I left my other position. And the results have honestly just been astounding, um, really just removing so much of the guesswork and figuring out exactly what nutrients you need more of, give more of that, and limit the things you might be sensitive to and let the cells do their thing. Yeah, very interesting. Um, I'm curious, like having gone down this path, there's, you know, MTHFR has been getting more and more notoriety. A lot of people realize they need, they have this mutation where they need higher amounts of bioactive B vitamins in order to, to, to detoxify, in order to, to produce certain neurotransmitters and a variety of, of other things. Um, maybe you could speak on MTHFR and a few of the other things that you're seeing come up a lot or like what you've identified as some of the big needle movers. Like I'm, um, I'm APOE E4 E4. So I have like APOE is sort of just to speak in generalities known as like the Alzheimer's gene. And if you have one copy of E4, you have roughly like a 7x increased risk of Alzheimer's. If you have two, it's like 20x. Um, and, you know, knowing these things, you can then change some of your behaviors. You know, for most people, they'll say, oh, having like a drink a day or, or, or a couple of drinks a week is, is actually beneficial. Well, if you're E4, E4, it's unequivocally not, right? And um, so I'm curious, like in having seen all of these different genetic reports and what people are coming to you with and what they're experiencing, what are some of the cause and effect relationships you've, you've noticed? And what are some of the big genetic needle movers that are influencing health that might not be on the radars of our listeners? Absolutely. So the first thing you mentioned, MTHFR, that's actually the first gene I always start my consults off with mm -hmm. just because, you know, start with some common grounds. Mm -hmm. By far the most discussed gene, but people aren't aware that's just one of over a dozen genes in this methylation cycle. And I methylation I, is the first thing I check with all of my clients. Like you mentioned, neurotransmitter production, glutathione production, epigenetic regulation, like everyone's big into the epigenetic healing I am as well. I'm a big spiritual guy. I believe in all of that. But at the same point, epigenetic healing is turning those good genes on and the bad traumatic genes off. Well, if your methylation process isn't working as well, that's going to make that healing that much harder for you. So the MTHFR, definitely a lot of my clients have that. Most of them do. And that just means you need more B9 methylfolate. Um, but even to go one step further with that, People that are adrenaline sensitive, like me, for example, I tried a methylated B complex and I was losing my shit. I was so irritable and tense because those methyl groups are also making more neurotransmitters, including adrenaline. Mm. So since I break that down slower, it's like a double whammy there. I see that all the time. People think MTHFR, you need a bunch of methylated B vitamins. How mutated is it? That dictates how much of these methyl groups you'll need. How sensitive are you to the adrenaline that these methyl groups will raise for you? 
Can you see that in a genetic report? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You could see, so there's four, there's two main areas where MTHFR is mutated and you could get one or two of those from mom and dad. So you basically can get up to four of these mutations. Um, that's pretty, pretty rare. Cause that's actually very, very detrimental for even just embryonic development, but seeing people with two of the six, seven, seven region being mutated, you're talking 20% MTHFR activity mm -hmm. versus someone that has 80%. That's a big swing for how much methyl uh, groups they actually need. And then all these supplements just think more is better. And they're doing these crazy high doses. And so many people that come to me can't sleep. They're anxious. They're tense. They're irritable. Mm -hmm. They're on the wrong supplements. They're over methylating. Mm -hmm. There's actually other genes. The CBS gene is one I see very common that actually helps you lower homocysteine. So MTHFR mutations will make it higher. People will take all these methylated B vitamins and tank their homocysteine because they're even though it should be higher, you can have mutations that counteract each other. That's why I always recommend blood work to check that homocysteine level. Also, what you take to make help you heal isn't always what you have during maintenance. So mm -hmm. I always recommend people, once you start feeling better after a few months, we may have to make some tweaks because you may not need that much methylation support. One of the biggest mistakes I see, again, people just see MTHFR, assume you need a bunch of these B vitamins and they're overdoing it a lot. Totally. And if you're on it forever, you're probably not actually healing. You know, you're sort of in a, it, it, like sticking gum in a hole in the boat rather than getting to the root cause of what is, what are causing some of these mutations. And, you know, is it, is it a toxin? Is it a pathogen? Is it radiation? Exactly. Are, you, are you overstressed? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Like those mutations are always there, but yes, like you said, what raised that homocysteine to begin with? Your body is running out of glutathione and cofactors to make glutathione because you're busy fighting something off. So we need to support you so you can fight that off. But absolutely, the root cause is, and this is where it's like, what came first, the chicken or the egg? You know, is the root cause really that mold spore you inhaled? Or is it the genetically mutated detox pathways? Because at the end of the day, some people in a family that live in a moldy house, they're fine. Mm -hmm. Other ones are really messed up. That's usually all the these, case. Yes. All these environmental factors, heavy metals, mold, um, pesticides, all these things, your sensitivities to them are dictated by proteins in your cells, which are encoded by genes. So even these things that people think aren't genetically related ultimately are. Um, another one I see very, very often, and I think is the most wrongly demonized supplement is vitamin D supplementation. Um I have mutations. I will never make enough vitamin D from sunlight alone. Um, I'll never hit that optimal level. Now, is that because you're fair skinned and, and, and blonde? Is that part of it? Yeah, that's a good question. So that's actually something I've been looking more so into from the evolutionary biology perspective, um, the prevalence of that. Um, I'm not entirely sure, but what I like to tell people is too, people say, all right, well, then how do we evolve? Why are these genes evolved here? Like, why did, how can we have these genes after all these years? Well, all you had to do uh, in the past was just simply live to reproductive age, reproduce, and that's it. Nowadays, I feel like on top of the toxic world we live in, just because it got you by doesn't mean it's optimal, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, so I also see a lot of people taking the wrong vitamin D supplement because that D3 supplement that pretty much everyone takes, you can have mutations where you don't 
metabolize that into the form that actually circulates in your body. So I started using the metabolizer. I'm pretty sure it's a calcitriol supplement instead of a clocifidiol supplement. And that's been making complete game-changing results for people, helping with autoimmunity and all these types of things because their whole life they've been living with a deficiency on top of the blood ranges being 30 to 100, which is insanely large because I'm sure, you know, normal is what is common, not what's actually ideal. And that's why all these blood ranges keep changing over time. My testosterone level went up moderately over the past three, four years, but now I'm way off the charts because now the normal ranges have been shifted lower because, you know, the, the testosterone decline, they're really shifting the goalposts. So more people yeah. fit that normal range, which is crazy. Um, vitamin D is a big one as well. Um, I think another big one are histamine breakdown. Well, so hold on, have, just before we move on to histamine breakdown, because yeah. I, I want to go there, but I'm interested in the vitamin D because I have I have mixed feelings on it. And you were talking about, did you say uh, uh, cal calcitriol? Yes. And is so that's different than uh, colocalciferol. Yeah. So colocalciferol, whether you whether you make it from sunlight, get it through food or supplement. That's what everyone. All roads lead to that. Now yeah, that's the the, that's the main one people are taking. Yeah, sorry, I meant to say calcifidiol, not calcitriol. So calcifidiol is one step down. That's what's actually checked on blood work. So people will have deficiencies in that, but they're taking all this clocalciferol, mm -hmm. but they can't convert it. This CYP two R one gene is the gateway. That's the only way to convert this properly. I work with people with six, seven, eight mutations in that gene. And this has been shown in peer-reviewed studies that if you have this mutation, you will you're like ten to fifty times more likely to not respond to regular clocalciferol vitamin D supplementation. Well, that makes perfect sense when you think about it molecularly because you're taking a, a, a supplement that you need to convert into something else, and that process is heavily, heavily, heavily disrupted. So why would your blood marker for that product? go up much at all. Mm -hmm. So it's not just a supplementation, even through the sunlight route, it could have a huge, huge bottleneck there. Um, yeah. So supplementing directly with that calcifidiol um, really has been a game changer for people. What, then you also, which one do you take? What brand do you take for that? So D.Velop is the only brand that uh, I'm aware of over the counter. I was using Realdi with clients. It's actually a prescription calcifidiol supplement they use for multiple sclerosis. But I was I found this D.Velop brand um, over the counter, super affordable, and that. Now I'm glad I don't have to even go through the doctor at all. Like they could just yeah. go get that. It only it's only in the U.S. right now, um, which is problematic. I work with people all around the world, mm -hmm. but people that have always had these low levels, and you have doctors. Like I'll try someone out on if people are on ten thousand IU's of vitamin D for a couple of months, and their levels are still in like the 40s or low 50s. Like mm -hmm. I personally like around 60 to 80 nanograms per milliliter. Yeah, I um, always say try to shoot to get at least over 70 and your yeah. risk of everything goes way down. Absolutely. And um, they, there's a rule of thumb that for every 1,000 IUs you take, you should go up around 10 nanograms per mil. So doing the math, I work with so many people that take, even if you take 5,000 IUs, or let's just say 10,000 IUs, you have a level of 50 there's clearly some conversion issue going on there. Mm -hmm. um, and then on top of this, and this is really important, is you know molecules, nutrients bind receptors on the surface of cells. That's how our cells respond to anything. Mm -hmm. Now, receptors can also be mutated. 
and this is something I see very, very often with the vitamin D receptor, if that's mutated, it means your cells are inherently less sensitive to vitamin D. Mm-hmm. So they're less sensitive to what's in the blood. And we're talking about, a whole, even though we call it a vitamin, we're kind of talking about a hormone. And oh, we, it's the most powerful hormone in the body, absolutely. And we know that hormone, hormonal resistance it, it exists in many forms. It could, yep. it could very conceivably exist for vitamin, quote unquote, vitamin D as well. Yep. Pretty much every receptor can be mutated. And this has been shown, uh, hyper responders to weight training actually have mutations that make their androgen receptors hyper responsive. So it can go either way, but most of the vitamin D ones lower the sensitivity. I like to give the example, like when the dot, when the, uh, weatherman says, oh, it's a high of 65 today with a real feel of 40. Well, you have a high of 65. That's what's on your blood work, which is a pretty good level. But if you have a heavily mutated receptor, your real feel may only be a 40. So I'll have people as high as 80, 90, high 90s if they have a heavily mutated receptor. And of course, I'm always going by how they feel. You know, we always go up slowly. I don't just bombard them with it. Always go by how they feel. But these are the same people that go to their doctor to get their vitamin D checked. The doctor's like, listen, you're at like a 92 this is like toxicity range. And like, they're like, honestly, fuck you, man. Like my psoriasis is gone or all this stuff you weren't able to help me with went away because yes, 92 may seem high, but their real feel may be right around that 70, 80 range, Mm -hmm. which where I think is truly optimal. So, so many aspects for the vitamin D pathway. And the, what makes it even worse is it's by far the most demonized. So many people I work with come to me they're taking all these other things under the sun, yet they are scared shitless to take any vitamin D because they've been fear-mongered for calcification risks, which have never been documented in the literature, from mm-hmm. people in the holistic space that are kind of just parodying each other, honestly. Yeah. And I know a lot of them mean well, but it's super frustrating, and they are heavily mutated. I give them this, and they're virtually – you know, cured is a strong word. I'm using their words, not mine, but they're feeling so much better, so much quicker – They've been told that your body can make their own hormones, which to me is crazy because these same practitioners, they'll also have no problem putting a woman on bioidentical progesterone. That's a hormone too. So why is it okay to do HRT with estrogen or progesterone or testosterone, Mm -hmm. but you can't supplement with vitamin D? The hypocrisy just makes – no sense to me and it, it blows my mind, it, especially it makes, when you could yeah. be one little pill away from fixing, you know, the, the, the wide arching effects of vitamin D. It affects so many aspects of health. Let me know if you guys have been experiencing more of any of the following than you used to. Brain fog, difficulty staying focused, fatigue, muscle weakness or changes in balance and coordination, mood fluctuations, apathy or lower motivation, sleep issues, changes in sex drive or function, or increased sensitivity to certain foods, or just more digestive stuff going on in general. Now I ask because these are all warning signs that your brain may be struggling. Any one could be an early indicator of serious things to come, and if ignored or left unchecked, especially if you're experiencing more than one, These could significantly increase your risk of dementia, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, these neurodegenerative diseases uh, that include cognitive decline. The secret to unlocking the full potential of your brain comes down to three simple steps. One, precision diagnostics. This is why in our coaching program, we use the most sophisticated brain and neurocognitive testing on the planet. You then fix the deficiencies, those hormones, 
neurotransmitters and nutrients that may be out of balance. And then you clean up the toxins, the stress, and the inflammatory microbes that may be interfering and making the whole process less efficient. I'm gonna do two crazy things that I've never done before. I'm offering a 100% money back guarantee, meaning if you follow the prescribed game plan that you and I create together and don't experience a significant, trackable, measurable improvement in your memory, processing speed, mental clarity, mood, and quality of life, I don't want your money. I wanna give you a full refund. But stick with me because I'm gonna level it up even more. If your increased energy, brain health, and mental performance doesn't help you earn at least as much additional income as you invested in the program, I'm also willing to give you a full refund. I wanted to do this so that you know that you have absolutely nothing to lose, everything to gain. If you want to level up, go to biohackercoaching.com. Thank you. And I think that a lot of doctors are in a difficult situation because you know, you and I have looked and we've seen how all-cause mortality and risk of almost every chronic and degenerative disease just takes a nosedive when when you're in that 70, 80 plus range uh, for, for vitamin D in, in blood. And but then, you know, there are there are these best practices and things that doctors are supposed to do in certain situations where they're told whether they believe it or not, that if someone has a vitamin D of 90, that they need to get that down or that patient is at risk and then it's on the doctor. And I'm not like standing up for them in, in, no, no, in, absolutely. in, in either case. I realize, I, I think the problem is like, it's not even necessarily the doctor. It's, it's the system. It's the system. It's yeah. a system. And, and I don't, you know, we'll, we'll, I'll try to stay away from conspiracies in this episode just to give our listeners a break. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, it's, it's interesting to me on the vitamin D side. I always like first plan of attack is always to try to get it from sunlight. If you can, you know, always. like That's it, the number get one more sunlight. We yeah. all need it. I need it. Um, you know, just don't burn. The reality is that not everyone can. And a lot of people are working crazy long days indoor. They're north of, you know, the the 38th latitude. And it's, you know, they need to spend just an egregious amount of time outside to even get there. Um, But, you know, and I don't have this figured out. But Jack Cruz is, uh, Dr. Jack Cruz is a pretty firm believer that supplementing Mm -hmm. with vitamin D interferes with the body's ability to synthesize it from sunlight. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, so, so now, now, like my, you know, my counter to that is again, we're seeing. I'm looking to see based on how mutated these receptors are. If someone, I have had clients that don't have vitamin D receptor mutations, and I'm like, okay, you get to 60, 65, I think you're good. You yeah. know. So again, that's another. All these different arguments, whether you're green or disagreeing on all spectrums of aspects of health. I think it's just I'm adding that nuance of time and place for specific individuals. Like totally. these same mutations that prevent you from creating vitamin D from sunlight, these exact mutations have many studies that are linked to diseases that are related to vitamin D. Now, obviously, there's so many other factors involved, but when you have thousands thousands of people that point to this, it just goes to show that it, that is having a functional consequence. But of course, you know, sunlight is hugely important for so many things beyond just that vitamin D aspect. But quick story about me, how I figured this out about myself. I was doing a period of, during a period of poor health. This was probably five, five years ago or so having just some mood inflammation issues, middle of the summer, you know, super tan. I love the beach. I love being outside. And my vitamin D was, I think at like a 32, which was on the hair end of like deficiency, 
But to me, it's been floating around usually like 50, 60 or so. And I'm like, what's going on here? Um, and that's when I wasn't supplementing during the summer. I didn't think I needed to. You were tan and you were outside a whole bunch. Absolutely. And, it's, and it's I see this very, very often. It was at 32. I have a homozygous double mutation there. Yeah. I'm seeing it, I'm seeing it more and more as well, too. Like these past yeah. few years, it's happening more frequently. Absolutely. And then that's when I started peeling back the layers of the onion and realizing that, you know, I started supplementing. I supplemented that year round. Like I lowered my dosage in the summer, of course. I still try to get outside. But I like I think too, I like to tell people parathyroid hormone has a tight correlation with vitamin D. And if you get a good baseline, trying to get a word this, people are too hung up on the blood levels. If your vitamin D gets too high, your cells will lower parathyroid hormone to compensate. So I tell people, if you get a baseline for parathyroid hormone, you can slowly increase over time. And maybe once you hit 90, parathyroid starts to go down because it matters what the cells truly feel at the signaling level, not what's actually in the blood there. So now a parathyroid hormone, I might need you to school me to this because I always get like T4, T3, free T4, free T3, TSH, reverse T3. Is parathyroid hormone different? Yeah, so that's involved with calcium, calcium and vitamin D. Okay. Um, so it's sensing changes in calcium to regulate vitamin D activation, um, which will then allow more or less calcium uh, resorption. So, um, so you order that special. So I, and here's the thing too, you know, I need to try to balance. It's not normally checked. You know, if people can afford it, I recommend doing that, but it's just such a pain. The battles I hear about trying to even get a homocysteine or even get iron checked mm -hmm. or ferritin checked yeah. by a regular doctor. It's, it's crazy, you yeah. know? So, um, you know, ideally that makes a lot of sense, and pay for but it. yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, and I'm always a big fan too, you know? Always have the cofactors. I think everyone, pretty much everyone across the board, uses a little bit more magnesium with all the stress nowadays. For sure. um, boron. I always bounce a little bit of K2 alongside that. But again, it's the holistic community saying, you know, you have 5,000 IUs of vitamin D, you're going to have calcification issues. Well, they've done 10,000 IUs for three years and there's no calcification at all with mm -hmm. no cofactors. So where's that coming from? For sure. You know what I mean? And I think it's also, you mentioned a scenario where if you have, if you have dozens or hundreds of clients whose autoimmune issues are going away, psoriasis, inflammation, et cetera, that's a very powerful data point. You yeah. know, if you started supplementing with this this particular form of vitamin D that that you mentioned and noticed improvements, that's a very powerful data point. Like I look at it as we're all kind of figuring this out and you know, I've brought up in the past where, you know, uh, calicociferol is an ingredient in rat poison. That it concerns me a little bit just because it's also toxic to rats. It's rats, dogs, cats, mice. And I'm like, huh, maybe it's not for humans or maybe you know the dose matters and this and that. But it makes me scratch my head a little bit. And again, I don't know. I don't know. I'm like, I'm interested. And I think that, like you mentioned, the symptom-based improvement is probably the best indicator. And if someone is walking around at 30 or even 40 and they've tried to get it from sun and they can't and it's not going up, then I think there's a very good case to be made for supplementing, especially with the form that you mentioned. Yeah. Um, these are not rare different. mutations. Like these yeah. are the, and none of these mutations that I mentioned that I work with. So many of my clients ask me, 
you know, how fucked up am I? Like, how bad is that? I'm like, honestly, it's not, these mutations are very common. It just depends. Do you have one vitamin D receptor mutation or seven? So mm-hmm. that's where the variants, everyone has mutation in the vitamin D pathway. Like, cause mm-hmm. that's just how many I check. You know, it's not rare to have one mutation. It's more rare if I see five or six in one single gene because they're additive with each other. Like if mm-hmm. someone has one mutation, how they make serotonin, let's just say that it works 80% as well. Getting sunlight, you know, practicing gratitude, all those things, that can definitely be all they need. But if someone has four mutations there, it's 15% is active. I don't care what hacks you try to do. You're going to need some targeted supplementation for that. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, everyone's different. But it is really interesting how a lot of mutations that let's just say should be 15% prevalence in the general population. Three quarters of my clients have it. And I think it's interesting when you think about this. It's because I'm artificially selecting for people with more faulty genes because the people that come to me, you're not seeking out a holistic genetic health optimization coach as your first line of treatment. Conventional (laughs) medicine failed you. (laughs) All the holistic people failed you because holistic medicine, light years better than conventional, but it's still, I have a symptom. We're going to give you some herb instead of a pharmaceutical that helps with that symptom. Mm -hmm. But looking at it from the pathway perspective, like people taking all these binders and stuff for liver health and everything. You might have a mutation regarding phosphatidylcholine production, which I want to touch on again. You mentioned the uh, the APOE4 stuff mm-hmm. because – so the APOE4 is really interesting. I, I've had work with some clients with um, with Alzheimer's, and I check APOE4, but I think similar to cancer – I think so much attention is given towards these big boogeyman mutations. Like without a doubt, APOE4 is linked to it. You know, I'm not disputing that. But what is also linked to that? These vitamin D receptor, these vitamin D mutations I mentioned are also linked to Alzheimer's disease. And and Lyme disease and Bartonella, these bacterial infections that some some brain autopsy studies have shown over 90% of Alzheimer's brains have, have Borrelia burgdorferi. Yep. in there. So I think I think we need to also be looking for Lyme and Bartonella and like a bacterial infection that's got into the brain, you know, and I'm bringing this up because I, I love what you're doing. And I think we're all pioneering this. And the more people that know and can look for these different things, I don't think I don't think the, that that we are just if you're E4, E4, that no, your your, even, your future is 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 predetermined. Not not at all. And the APOE4, what that does is it basically alters the type of cholesterol that get delivered to your cells. And mm-hmm. that's what causes the accumulation of these lipid droplets. What it does is that you get more, I think, LDL cholesterol instead of VLDL. Mm-hmm. Then you could also have a mutation, this PEMT gene. I've been loving this one lately. Everyone's big on the liposomal phosphatidylcholine lately, which I absolutely agree with. But there can be mutations in how your liver and brain produce phosphatidylcholine. So I see someone and my the few Alzheimer's clients I've worked with had many mutations in this gene. So think of it as the ratio of cholesterol to phosphatidylcholine in the cell membranes. That'll dictate how fluid or rigid they are. And that's what causes these lipid droplets. So you have- you Can, have, can you uh, give our listeners like, how do you view cholesterol right now? Because I think them understanding your view of cholesterol based on you know where things are at- because we might still have someone listening that's that thinks cholesterol is bad. Probably yeah. not if they've been listening to this podcast for a while. But I want to get us all on the same page with cholesterol, or get, yeah, it, get us all on Tyler's page. Yeah, definitely. You know, and it's it's definitely not as tightly linked to just all these poor outcomes like people think. I'm sure you probably mentioned, you know, 
ApoB, um, lipoprotein A, those types of things in conjunction with that and poor lifestyle. And those are actually reports I can see genetically as well. Are you more prone to higher ApoB? Because, you know, that's not a cheap lab test and people don't know to look for that. So imagine if I could let you know, hey, here are the top three markers you should really be getting checked because they're more likely to be elevated. We might need to use a spirulina to help lower that ApoB or, you know, some flaxseed perhaps, perhaps, or depending to try to lower that preemptively. But yeah, the LDL is not inherently bad. You know, the more fat you eat, the higher your LDL cholesterol will be. There's also mutations that dictate how you process it. I always give the example of my wife. My wife is one of those genetic freaks, you know, super in shape, like low body fat, striated muscle, all this stuff. And she gets to get, she goes to get her blood done. The nurse will always call her and say, hey, we got your blood work back. Your LDL was high. You should maybe consider diet and exercise. And I'm like, well, clearly you're not the nurse that pulled the blood out of her like veiny striated <laughs> specimen of an arm. So clearly her lifestyle is not what's actually causing that. And there's some studies that shows LD, higher LDL can actually be protective against a lot of different right. uh, health ailments and parameters. And including so, cognitive decline. Absolutely. Because the, your cell membranes, the, the the outer layer of the cells, that's – dictated by different types of fats. Cholesterol is one of them. So if you're very, very low on cholesterol, that can be affecting the ratios in the cell membranes. So as I mentioned, the APOE, imagine the ratio of phosphatidylcholine to cholesterol. APOE will raise the cholesterol. This PEMT mutation I mentioned will lower phosphatidylcholine. So it's like twofold. Hmm. So I think that the combination of those two, if I see APOE with PEMT gene mutations, liposomal phosphatidylcholine is going to be your best friend because people think of just in terms of raw values when in reality, a lot of health is all about the ratios of things. Like really? if your estrogen is high, that's not the end of the world unless your progesterone's low. Raw, va I think ratios matter a lot more than just solely raw values of things mm -hmm. in isolation. So the... Is it now? Is the, it the same D dot Velop brand you like for liposomal phosphatidylcholine or a, a different company? No. So I like the Body Bio PC is a good brand. Oh yeah, uh, they're good. Seeking Elf also has one as well. Um, I like the liposomal because uh, TMAO is a metabolite form from gut bacteria. If you supplement with betaine or choline or phosphatidylcholine or acetyl L-carnitine in higher amounts long term your gut can produce this. And this is linked to, actually, that's actually linked to Alzheimer's itself and a lot of other health conditions, chronic diseases. You can have mutations that make you more prone to higher levels of TMAO. So that's why it's like, well, if you take a liposomal, you're going to get it, you're going to skip the gut bugs and only feed your cells and get it right in there. Um, but I've literally seen people, I've had a client last week that has tried everything under the sun, all these holistic practitioners, all these herbs, she had extremely mutated PEMT gene. Um, I give her some liposomal phosphatidylcholine, and then boom, intense detox reaction right out the gate. Really? And I actually see that a lot when I work with people. Not, not when, when people are dealing with stealth infections we may not know about or we know they have mold or these other things going on, some of my clients, you know, they'll feel like crap when they start out. And, the, and mm -hmm. the, I say this because to bring awareness – you could have biofilms or stealth infection, things that the body stored away. They want to hide from the immune system. Mm -hmm. So now imagine finally getting an influx of that activated vitamin D, phosphatidylcholine for the liver, methylation support so you can make glutathione finally. Yeah. And you get all of this. And 
I could tell it's a detox reaction. They'll be getting, you know, swollen lymph nodes. They'll be actually getting a little sick feeling. You know, it's one thing to have a poor, you know, anxious response or nausea from the wrong supplement, you know, but the mm -hmm. fact that you're actually getting these signs of, I've had people have their urinal turn green because they'll bust a biofilm and just be peeing out all this bacteria because we're figuring out, you know, rather than just guessing, we're figuring out which nutrients their liver exactly needs. So that phosphatidylcholine has been one of the newer genes I've been adding because it just seems like there's endless genes. You know, there's so much new data coming out. So it's how do you balance? What do you include versus balancing time? Because right now I don't have a lot of people in this space are doing the whole let's scale this and get a as many people, the genetic information, yeah, but a lot of them, you know, they're great businessmen. I'm friends with a lot of them, but they're not actually scientists boots on the ground. I'm mm -hmm. doing the reverse way. I'm figuring out what is literally the best way to do this. Forget about scaling. Yeah. We'll figure about scaling later because a lot of these reports just say you're paying 600 bucks to learn out. You have MTHFR. I need methylfolate, but that's not really, that's <laughs> only a tiny piece of the pie. And then boom, you're out $600. And can that help people? Yes. Is it helping people? Yes. But it's way more than just that. And there's mm -hmm. also a lot of contraindications for other genes. Like yeah. that curcumin supplement you're taking. Yeah, it may be helping with your gut health. Well, your hair's falling out. You're anemic. Did you also know curcumin is a very powerful iron chelator? Your holistic practitioner that put you on crazy high-dose liposomal curcumin didn't know that. Right. They're having you get IV infusions of iron every week. You're sending all this money. Get rid of the freaking curcumin. Throw in a little bit of beef liver twice a week, and then boom, your hair's growing back. Voila. Mm -hmm. And it's just, you know, from my point of view, it's like, wow, that was easy. But that's also coming from, you know, I'm the only holistic pharmacologist I'm aware of. You know what I mean? Having my education on that pharmacology, not just reading what the supplement bottle says. Even yeah. the people that make the supplements aren't aware of all the mechanisms. So yeah. having someone to break that down, that's why I want to try to educate people about that. I see so many people on literally making their health worse from the wrong supplements. One mechanism may totally. serve them, three may not serve them. Yeah, and there's a lot of people, part of what's come with this scaling approach is there are a lot of people with a little bit of information where it's actually more dangerous for the the, the the folks that they're working with, right? Where it's just this linear, like they're only looking at the positive impact of certain supplements. And like, yeah. if I take a ton of curcumin, you know, with my hormones, I have very, very low, um, five alpha reductase activity, like I'm much more five beta. So if I take a bunch of these five alpha reductase inhibitors, the category of which are, you know, they're primarily anti-inflammatory, yeah. then all of a sudden, like my libido sucks and my function yeah. down there tanks, you know what I mean? But like, if, if we're only looking at like, you're inflamed, you should take curcumin and you're not like, well, why are you inflamed? Right. Or what, what else could the curcumin be doing that interplays with what we already know about you? You know, so I think that's, that's a great point. Um, Absolutely. And, you know, too, it's also the potential risks could be ideal for some person. So it's not even the pros and cons. I just like listing that strictly mechanisms, you know, because mm -hmm. if someone is having some inflammatory issues that has genetically high iron, they absorb too much iron, then curcumin may be the exact thing that they need. Mm -hmm. um, unless you're just going to gut eating all the red meat and lower the iron consumption. But I'm a big believer in high quality meat, particularly red meat and supplement around. If you have mutations where you're more sensitive to the ammonia from the protein, we'd rather support ammonia clearance than get rid of the meat. 
-hmm. similarly with the iron as well, because I think meat is just so incredibly important and nutritious that there could be one aspect of that meat that may not agree with you, but there are ways you could help support that. Cause I don't think just getting rid of that, all those other nutrients altogether is the best course of action for most people. For sure. How do you support ammonia clearance? Is this like an L-ornithine deal or like, how do you go about that? Yeah. So L-ornithine is definitely one that I use. And this has been a newer thing I've been implementing in my practice because subclinical ammonia toxicity is actually rampant. You'd be shocked. Like, because part of the issue is you go to one doctor, it says if your blood urea nitrogen, your bun, if it's over like 18, it's high. If it's over 20, you're high. I've seen some labs say over 25, it's high. So I've had people work with me, their bun is at a 24. And I'm like, that is very high ammonia. And they have a lot of odd neurological symptoms. You know, that's getting, they're not digesting well, food fermenting in the gut, and then it's mm -hmm. diffusing into their brain and it's causing all these weird issues. Add in Lyme disease. Lyme actually produces ammonia in the brain as well, which may not actually be showing up on the blood work because they're separate compartments. So- I see that so often, and I really like the L-ornithine. Spirulina is good as well, um, but usually the L-ornithine is what I start out with, and it's crazy. People could get detox reactions from that um, because ammonia gets converted into glutamate, which can cause a lot of anxiety-type symptoms and nausea, and possibly L-glutamine. And on the flip side, I've seen people taking high doses of L-glutamine from a practitioner for a gut healing protocol, which without a doubt it does. Very good gut healer, but it also can get converted into ammonia. So if you already have that ammonia bucket partially filled due to mutations, you're not gonna feel good on that. And I've worked with people, they've been on glutamine for three, four months. Oh, I'm still detoxing. Sweetie, that is not a detox reaction after four months. That just does not agree with you at the genetic level. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, good point, good point. Um, so where, I mean, let's talk a little bit more about supplementation and then we'll kind of bring this together and how people can work with you and, and stay up to date with cool things you're working on. Um, what what supplements besides the vitamin D that we talked about and the liposomal phosphatidylcholine have you seen help the largest cross-section of people? Is it is it yeah. those methylated B vitamins or, or what what else are you using in your practice where you're like, this this is a game changer for a lot of people? Yeah, I've been a really big fan of lithium ortate recently. So, and I I say lithium in the consults and people are like, you know, their eyebrows raised because they I'm associate with the bipolar depression. Yeah, <laughs> so that's lithium bicarbonate, very high doses for neuropsychiatric disorders. Um, but this is a very, very low dose of a much more easily absorbed form um, and so many interesting mechanisms. It helps you, it binds serotonin receptors, so can help raise serotonin, better mood. It actually sensitizes dopamine receptors, the same ones that can be mutated. So it'll make them more sensitive. So you have higher sensitivity, higher signaling for dopamine and serotonin. And this is probably one of the most interesting mechanisms that I'm not aware of any other supplement that does this. The two enzymes, COMT and MAO, that break down neurotransmitters, mostly adrenaline is the main issue. I mentioned I have a mutation in those. Um, it'll actually make them work faster to help you clear out adrenaline. So most people, they take calming supplements that kind of up GABA or, you know, they'll like kind of almost mask it if that makes sense. But the adrenaline's still there. You can just cope with it better. Um, so this can lower adrenaline while boosting serotonin and dopamine. And that makes sense why it's such a good mood stabilizer. Because what is an unstable mood? An unstable mood are big fluctuations in stress, which releases adrenaline. So when you can 
help prevent that release and increase the breakdown of that, the mood can be a lot more stable. I've been implementing recently the past several months and on and off, and I really love it. Whenever I'm feeling just overwhelmed with stuff, I take it before bed, helps with sleep. But a lot of my clients that have really bad anxiety issues, starting out with that to help them stabilize, they have one milligram and five milligram up to 20, but I really rarely ever go over five milligram. Even one milligram is usually does the trick for people. They did some math that, well, I don't know if you're familiar with the studies, the higher the level of lithium in a population's drinking water, mm-hmm. the lower the rates of suicide, depression, and violent crimes. Someone did on Reddit did some napkin math and said roughly two to two and a half milligrams of lithium ortate per day is what the, I think it was in Japan, the highest rates of, lowest rates of depression and suicide from the highest rates of lithium. So roughly two-ish milligrams is where you kind of mimic what that amount is. Mm-hmm. So... I love using that a lot. It also helps lower arachidonic acid, so it could help with some inflammatory parameters. But overall, that's something that people can feel right away, kind of just chopping off like 30% of the adrenaline off the top end. Um, really been lacking that one for people with anxiety and mood issues. Yeah, there's there's also some really exciting research on it for neurogenesis and like actually oh absolutely i forgot to mention that absolutely yeah so it's very neurogenic as well and i personally believe like i'm going to be doing probably one milligram of lithium ortate pretty much every day once i hit 40 and up you know i i take a lot of other things help boost neuroplasticity but that itself i think has a lot of i'm pretty sure it was mouse studies that showed it could help prevent the onset of genetic alzheimer's disease but i'm one of those guys man People really overestimate how different mice are from humans. Mm-hmm. Um, the fundamentals are virtually the same. Yeah, dosages are different and stuff, but if it does that in a mouse, it's going to do that in humans. Well, it case, just depends. case in point, you're not you're not allergic to humans. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm just fucking around. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Totally, they're they're totally different. Um, and, but it's also so hard to do this stuff with humans, you know. Well, <laughs> well yes, yes. Yeah. But that's why I love what I do. All I'm, nothing I'm giving you can't get on your own anyways. It's just pointing people in the right direction. And most people I work with, they're like, I have five grand of supplements in my cabinet. I'm like, yeah, for a fraction of that, you could work with me and figure out what's mm-hmm. going to work with you pretty much for the rest of your life. You're going to get probably 20 to 25 supplement recommendations that if we implement a third of those, you know, I'm a big fan of less is more. I'm also a huge fan of isolates, individual ingredients, or low ingredient count products. People will say, oh, you're going to have me take eight things. Well, I'm only taking three now. Well, all three of those each have 15 ingredients each. So you're taking 45 things. So eight isolates things, individual nutrients can go a lot further for you than just taking a bunch of these different mega dose herbal blends with a bunch of stuff Mm -hmm. because so many of these things can cause these supplement gene or even medication interactions. Yeah. Yeah. I've gotten very much into actually injections recently and injectable vitamins and and loving that and a variety of different peptides. Um, thymolin is one that I'm, I'm finding very interesting for inflammation and, um, and, and immunity and that sort of thing. But I've just found like when I'm going, when I'm utilizing injections, I don't need as many oral supplements. And I just felt oh, like the oral, the oral supplements, it was like they were getting more and more expensive. I still take a bunch. Don't get yeah. me wrong. Um, but it seems like they were getting more and more expensive. And it's also it's very difficult to know like who's running 
the, the companies that are producing these and if they're truly the the quality that you're looking to put in your body or are they loaded with a bunch of excipients and magnesium stearate and stuff that's kind of toxic um you know and and for a while i admittedly i was like that person that only focused on the positive of the supplement but wasn't like well what else could this be doing that might not be good for me or what how else could this be interacting with you know, other things I'm taking and so on and so forth. Can, can you talk a minute about Lion's Mane? You had a great video on Lion's Mane. Yeah. Was, you mentioned was- the five AR stuff before too. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I had, uh, someone reach out to me and turn me on to the subreddit about crazy, crazy responses to not even high doses lines made over short periods of time. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, you mentioned the five AR before. So that's the converting testosterone into dihydrotestosterone DHT. And basically I really don't recommend lines made to people anymore. There's a lot of other ways we can boost BDNF and help boost neuroplasticity. Lithium being one of those we just mentioned. I'm a big fan of CBD as well. Um, but, um, yeah, certain individuals are just very sensitive to some of those potential side effects. I think people that already have genetically lower DHT, so that could be a mutation in the 5AR enzyme, um, you lower DHT further, you're going to be very, very sensitive to that. And a good proxy to kind of gauge that, high DHT is linked to uh, baldness. So I have a couple of my buddies, remarkably intelligent. They love lion's mane. Guess what? A lot of them are bald. So I'm like, I have a full head of hair. I tried it. I felt kind of calm the first day. And then I kind of started just feeling just almost too chill and sort of numbed where I didn't really want to do anything. I lost that kind of like spark. You know, I'm go, go, go all the time. I like being that way. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's that aspect. And then there's also it acts on opioid receptors as well. And it can raise prolactin as well. So um I think some people are just, again, the receptor mutations, maybe their opioid receptor is mutated, so they're more sensitive to that, or maybe their 5AR is lowered, but it's really interesting that people will be derailed for, after a few weeks of supplementing, they're derailed for years, which to me indicates that it's some epigenetic thing. The Mm. 5AR just got turned off because you were messing with it. Now, why does that occur in some people, not others? Honestly, not sure. You know, that's really kind of far out there research, but how do you help fix that? As I mentioned earlier, methylation, MTHFR, this whole methylation cycle is how you turn genes on or off. So I'm actually going to be working with someone that has, you know, post finasteride, AKA post lines made issue syndrome, whatever you want to call it. And that's the first route we're going to try to attack is make sure that methylation process is working. Um, and you know, will it work? Is like propecia, isn't it? I know. I know it's for alopecia. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. 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 Yep. Yep. So yeah, you have the dutasteride, finasteride, lion's mane, yeah, yeah. reishi mushroom for, for hair loss. Yeah. And all, and saw palmetto. These are all things that affect that five AR and a lot of people think of things as supplement, but think of it in terms of mechanisms. Like all of these could technically be used interchangeably mm-hmm. for hair loss. It's just if you're going to be doing um, any of those, I always recommend, you know, topical on the head is a lot better, more targeted than taking an oral supplement. But I see people, the Hims brand's a big brand that's giving pills of Saul Palmetto with Finatra with this. I have somebody that say, hey, starting to hair starting to thin out a bit. I'm like, guys, let's. Low vitamin D, low iron, you know, mm-hmm. high histamine. These are all linked to 
balding. So let's address those first. We do not want to start messing around with the most androgenic thing, especially if you're a male. Right. And there's and there's much safer options now that are topical, especially in the peptide world, like uh, GHKCU, the copper peptide or zinc, zinc thymolin. They're now they're now making like topical hair preparations that don't jack up your hormones and and actually just help increase blood flow and and, and um, you know, are, are much are much safer. My buddy who had um, sent me one of your videos, he was experiencing periods of he felt like increased reactivity or increased sensitivity to his phone where like occasionally or especially if he was going on long drives he'd like notice himself getting a little bit like anxious or jittery around his phone and he saw your lion's mane video and he's like i've been taking lion's mane like huge doses every day for the past two years like putting it in my coffee every single day and he goes i stopped and he goes and i was no longer like super sensitive to my phone he goes, I, I wanted to test it. So I started back up. Same thing. Noticed like my phone was making me anxious and and, and causing certain issues. Um, so he yeah, credited, definitely he makes credited sense. you to, I, to pointing out the, 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 the mechanism or the contributing factor. Awesome. And, That's what um, it's all about, yeah. you know, like helping people with these things that, you know, and I still see people putting out higher, higher doses of the lines being stuff. And this is why I, I don't know if I'm ever going to have my own supplement company, because knowing all that I know, it's like, I feel weird saying everyone buy this because I know it could be harming some people. You know I, what I mean? I've, the- I've, I've gone down the path of building out certain supplements and been like, ah, I can't do it. I can't yep. do it. You know? Um, well, this is great. I mean, anything b- before we kind of go to how people can work with you, is there anything else that you wanted to share or mention or, um, you know, inspire our listeners to, you know, to put on their radar? Yeah, I mean, we could touch on the histamine stuff quickly. I think histamine is a significant contributor to virtually everybody's health ailments. People mm-hmm. think of histamine as just allergies, you know, anaphylaxis, runny nose, um, and it's so much more than that. It's linked to every histamine's released in response to LPS, bacteria in your body, lipopolysaccharide. Mm-hmm. It's what drives types of inflammation in your body. Mm-hmm. It's also an excitatory neurotransmitter. It's been linked to, you know, high histamine in the brain directly lowers serotonin and dopamine production. It's linked to ADHD, anxiety, depression, brain fog. High histamine in the joints is linked to rheumatoid arthritis, joint pain, osteoarthritis. Um, high histamine is the skin, hives, eczema. So pretty much any organ system can be more or less affected by histamine. And I think subclinical histamine issues underlie a lot of people's issues. Like I mentioned before, the brain fog was a big thing for me. So many people I work with, whether it's the headaches or the sleep issues. I mean, think about it. A Benadryl, an antihistamine, puts you to sleep. So what would too much histamine do? It'll keep you awake, yet foggy and lethargic, which is a shitty way to be. I'd rather be like anxious and like high energy. You know what I mean? It's very weird. A lot of people I work with are anxious yet low energy, which is a very odd, odd place to be Mm because you can't really act on anything. Mm -hmm. So um, I recommend everyone gets a skin prick test done for as many foods as you can. Um, Not the blood test, the IgG blood test. You want to get a skin prick test. um, And I say only do foods because at the end of the day, if you're allergic to birchwood trees, are you really going to go move somewhere where there's no birchwood trees? Like there's not as much you could do about that. But the food, you can get some really interesting insights and like peas and almonds, 
very healthy. People call almonds superfoods. I loved almonds. I never got a single hive, rash, sneeze ever. I wish I did. I would have connected the dots years ago, but I suffered. I never connected my brain fog to these foods I was eating. Mm -hmm. So there's that aspect. There's allergens around you, like the environmental stuff, but the food you put in your body. Then you also have foods and drinks that are just high in histamine that you're not allergic to. Tomatoes, coffee, vinegar. Like I was doing apple cider vinegar every morning. I had brain fog every morning. A lot of people I work with, yes, it does have good gut benefits, but the histamine aspect, if you're genetically sensitive to that, makes it a net negative for you. I've mm -hmm. taken so many people off of coffee. Coffee does have health benefits. I'm not disputing that. I'm also, I'm a fan of caffeine. I have maybe 200 milligrams a day. I think caffeine can be beneficial used appropriately, but have you ever seen those memes where it's like when you have coffee, it doesn't wake you up. It just raises your heart rate. <laughs> no. So you people have, it's like some skeleton in a chair. Just like, you know, when you have coffee, it just raises your heart rate. Doesn't wake you up. You know what that is? It's your, the caffeine's doing its job. It's raising your heart rate, but it's spiking histamine in your brain. So you have brain fog. So it's masking the cognitive benefits of the coffee, of the caffeine due to the histamine from the coffee roasting process. So Imagine if you're someone, I see this all the time with people I work with, they have brain fog or anxiety. And what do you have in the morning? Oh, I have a uh, apple cider vinegar and water. And then I have a uh, big black coffee. Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, you are starting off your morning with a massive histamine bomb. Mm -hmm. Let's get you, let's get you eating something that let's try to skip the coffee. We'll get some natural caffeine instead, get rid of the apple cider vinegar and that simple change they're like, wow, I thought I have to like take all these supplements just to get to where I'm at now. I'm like, yeah, phase one is remove all the stuff that's messing you up. Mm -hmm. Then we come in and support things from there. So the allergy testing, I recommend to everyone across the board um, just to rule that out. Um, and yeah, I think the histamine is hugely overlooked. And again, if it's, you don't have anaphylaxis or if you're not obviously sneezing, clear asthma, it's dismissed in conventional medicine when in reality – Health is all on a spectrum. And when you're concerned with true optimization, not just not dying, like conventional medicine is focused on, you got to take all these things into consideration. Anecdotes are data when what you're doing is so far ahead of where science is at. What else am I going to use and go off of? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Now, do you have any thoughts on using like full flush niacin to lower histamine levels? Yeah, so niacin can absolutely do that, but niacin actually also can raise homocysteine. So again, you need to look at the individual. I've seen people taking the niacin for the flu and those types of things, which it does have a lot of good benefits, but it is involved with methylation. So if you take that for too long, um, it can actually interfere with proper methylation and lead to higher homocysteine. But if you pair it with something like a trimethylglycine to help lower that down a bit long term, that makes a lot of sense. But again, you know, I'm not anti, you know, niacin for the flu at all, um, or whether it's the full flush or the no flush, but it definitely does have a lot of good benefits, especially if you have mutations, like all of these individual micronutrients, there are countless genes that are involved with the absorption, the activation and the breakdown of them. So mm -hmm. you can predict, do you need a higher need for niacin? Or not, but it definitely does because methylation is involved with breaking down of histamine. So it is linked to that. You just got to keep in mind where your homocysteine levels are at. What other methylation support are you doing? And then I always recommend you want to be getting that checked. The homocysteine, I'd say at least, at least every quarter, if you're going to be trying to, you know, be biohacking and doing all these types of things, because things can change not only when you're healed or not. 
But if you've been taking niacin for a while, that'll skew things a bit as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good point. I, I've also seen some interesting data, and, and and I don't have an opinion either way, but individuals that are experiencing higher levels of histamine may also be dealing with parasitic infection. And certain parasites in the gut can actually raise histamine levels and the histamine production that takes place when certain foods are consumed. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I haven't, one of those things that I haven't specifically looked into that, not a lot of research on parasites, but just thinking intuitively, I think all these different types of gut microbes that shouldn't be there. Like we do know that certain bacteria produce histamine, even a lot that are in probiotics people take. Mm -hmm. So people will be taking a random probiotic. And again, it may have certain good health benefits, but some people are more sensitive to that. So, and you mentioned the parasite thing, you know, that's a huge thing, the holistic space. And, you know, is the parasite really the root cause or is the root cause the poor glutathione production, the low vitamin D, the genetically lowered defenses for that? A lot of people- Hypochloridia because they're stressed. Yeah, that as well, absolutely. I mean, I think that's probably, that's probably one of the primary drivers I'd have to say because that stomach acid is definitely your number one defense against these pathogens. Um, but is it really, like I said, is it really the, the, is it really these things that we're always going to become, become into contact with these things. And most a lot of people that have one thing, they'll be like, Hey, I have Epstein-Barr virus. I have mold. I have Lyme. I have parasites. And I look at the genes and I'm like, yeah, they have really messed up methylation, really messed up vitamin D. And it's like, did one infection open the door for the others or did just that overall genetic aspect open the door for everything? Mm-hmm. So super, super fascinating. And, you know, it, like even the, like the glutathione stuff, so many people pop glutathione like candy, but what tells your body to make glutathione? Proper methylation, nitric oxide signaling, melatonin signaling does as well. Yet that's another hormone people demonize for some reason when you can have mutations that make you require more of it. So, you know, I don't think, I don't really use straight glutathione with most of my clients because let's optimize the pathways that tell your body to make its own glutathione rather than just giving that. We should be supplementing the most upstream aspect to to encompass as many of the natural benefits that your body has to offer. I dig it. I dig it. Uh, Dr. Tyler Panzner, thank you very much for coming on. This has been a fun conversation. For our listeners who want to work with you, learn more about what you've got going on, uh, where are the best places for them to do that? Yeah, so I have a website, www.drtylerpanzner.com. Dr. Tyler Panzner on um, Instagram, um, LinkedIn, Facebook. um, Where else am I? Twitter as well. Um, And I actually set up a code. I'm pretty sure, let me triple check. I'm pretty sure it's biohack or biohacks for anyone listening. Yeah, let's do biohacks. uh, Let me just double check. Um, Anyone listening to get $100. Right now I'm only doing uh, one-on-one consults, but I am, let me double check that it is, yeah, it is biohacks. B-I-O-H-A-C-K-S to get $100 off the one-on-one deep dive consult with me. And I'll be launching in the next couple of weeks a holistic genetic health mastery course. So if you like what I was saying here, all these patterns that we could identify, understand your genes and really become your own health advocate. Clearly the medical system is miserably failing and pretty much everything except emergency trauma medicine. So, and honestly, a lot of practitioners in the holistic space also don't know these things. So whether you're a practitioner that wants to learn more 
about from the cell aspect, the cellular aspect upwards, or just a self healer. Um, I have a newsletter link in my bio on Instagram. It's on my website to sign up for that. Stay in touch. Um, so thank you so much for having me on my man. Thank you for coming. Um, you know, I've been following you for a while now. Um, great conversation as expected. Um, you know, anyone listening, you know, even if you guys think your health is good, I like to tell people that 10 out of 10 day where you think you're firing on all cylinders, that might only be a seven or eight out of 10. And then you can just get that much more out of that. Um, so Everyone has these mutations. I really think what I can do can, you know, benefit literally everybody. It just depends on where your current health status is at and what you want out of life and where you want that health status to be. We're all different. Um, and my practice reflects that. So hope everyone learned something. And thanks again for having me on. Thank you, brother. I want to share real quickly the three main reasons that so many people have horrible digestion and the subsequent downstream health consequences of a dysregulated digestive system. First, all of us have been drinking and showering in water that's loaded with chlorine and fluoride and bromide and a whole bunch of other chemicals that kill the healthy bacteria and other microorganisms in our gut. Number two, imagine you had to drink a cup of pesticide and herbicide, you know, glyphosate. It's now in everything, and it's been in everything since the 1990s, but it goes one step further. Now you look at all of the technology that we have integrated into our lives. Now let's go back in time and imagine you're on the African savanna, and all of a sudden a lion comes out of the brush. What's your body going to do? It's going to spike the stress hormone cortisol. Your adrenals in communication with your brain are going to see this lion. They're going to recognize that you are now in danger. Now, the problem is we're not on the African savanna and a lion didn't just come out of the brush, but we're doing that same thing to ourselves all the time. And it's part of the reason that so many guys can only eat one meal a day and they're having, you know, they're switching to carnivore. And if they have any carbs, their 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 digestion and their health is, is a wreck and their whole body gets inflamed. I can tell you also from experience that that doesn't go to a good place. And until we even have an idea of what is contributing to this situation, we can't fix it. And if you want help, that's what I do. I help people fix their gut and then get their body back functioning optimally. So if you want help with this stuff, you can go to biohackercoaching.com, fill out the short form, grab a time to talk with myself or someone from our team. That's biohackercoaching.com. Appreciate you guys. If you found this helpful or you know someone who's been struggling with digestive issues, please send it to them. Thank you. Thank you.